Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that we do not have to function without your Holy Spirit. And so this morning, we pray that our worship, all facets of our worship, has been acceptable in your sight. We continue to worship you this morning by looking into your word and praying that our ears would be open, our hearts would be receptive to your voice today as you speak to us out of your word. And so we submit to you today and pray, have your way with us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would use me today with the anointing from your throne that would produce words of life that would motivate and move each one of us today. I pray in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. In a little while, we're going to turn to Numbers chapter 30. If you want to go ahead and get your Bibles open. In some ways, this word today is going to be somewhat prophetic to some of you. Um, and uh, I just pray that you, you have a, a hearing ears and uh, uh, that your eyes would be opened. I almost call this message overcoming the grasshopper mentality. And then we sang overcome. <clears throat> but I wanted, I did, I called it seeing beyond the grasshopper mentality. Because I think one of the keys, and you, and you know, this is just so corny, I hate even saying it. But, you know, we're in the year 2020. That's the year of seeing. So, I know. And you'll probably hear that a lot, hopefully not from me throughout the year. But uh, it may be that that's what the Lord is really saying to us is that we need to see. Um, <laughs> there's an episode of the Andy Griffith Show. <clears throat> where Rafe Hollister is being encouraged to go try out for the musical. If you don't know, Rafe Hollister is portrayed by a guy named Jack Prince, which was an accomplished, he was an accomplished singer, was on the Tonight Show. But anyway, and Andy tells him, you need to go down there and try it. He said, I can't do that. He said, why not? He said, cause. No, you need to go try out, Rafe. I can't do that. Anyway, the end of the story is he does, and he, of course, is selected to sing. So many of you in this room, when God says to you to do something, your response is, I can't do that. You probably don't say it just like that. But that's a lot of times that's our response because we see ourselves a certain way. Now, what I want to do is for, to remind us to see our role in extending the reign of Christ in the earth. See our role, your role, my role. In extending the reign of Christ in the earth. We're, our home group's going through the Agape Road with Bob Mumford. And one of the first things Bob Mumford says in that series is that heaven is not the goal. Now hear me. It, heaven is real. Heaven is where we go when we die. Bob is famous for saying, if you're a Christian, you don't have anywhere else you can go. But to heaven, but that's not the goal. The goal for us getting saved is not to go to heaven. 
That is the final destination, but not the goal. The goal is that we, while we still have breath in us, that we would do our part in seeing the reign of Christ come into the earth. Now, that's not an abstract that involves people, involves human beings. To do that, we have to have the eyes of our hearts that have been enlightened to see. Now, just hang with me. Say, what in the world is he talking about? Well, I don't know. We'll find out together. The eyes of our hearts. A few weeks ago, we did a, a few a series, a short series on the letters of the apostle. I mean, the prayers of the apostle Paul. And in one of those prayers, he said, "I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened." It's important that we be able to see beyond what's around us. If our eyes have been enlightened, we can receive revelation from the Father that will embolden us to engage. If we live in this world and we don't engage, what good are we? That guy just went to preaching. Well, I don't know. Maybe meddling. We, we, our assignment is to engage and, and to engage with people. I was reading the uh, you know, nobody likes to study Leviticus and those books. And, and you know, so-and-so begat and so-and-so begat. And I'm going, Lord, why did you put all this in here? I mean, just pages and pages and pages. And don't, 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 uh, don't act like you hadn't skipped over that. Because you have. And you know how I know that? And I felt like the Lord said to me, the reason all that's in there, because I want you to understand this thing's about people. It's not about organizations. It's not about groups. It's not about nations even. It's not about churches. It's about people. And we don't, we, we, we never need to lose sight of that. And so our mission, and we'll get to this, but our mission as God's representatives, Christ's ambassadors in the earth, our mission is to infiltrate. In a lot of ways, we're already doing that. But we need to make sure we're doing it effectively in the way he wants. Now, if you haven't already, turn with me to Numbers 13. And for some of you, this is a very familiar story. And for some of you, this is going to be the first time you've ever seen it or heard it. Um, there's 12 spies. Moses sends 12 spies into the land to see what, what the, the scope of uh, what they're up against looks like. And they go, they look around the land, they come back. Ten of the spies come back with the report, hey, that's a great land. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's got grapes the size of a, of a room. I mean, it's just, except there's some big boys there. It's kind of like when football teams play LSU. They say, I got some big boys on that team. Go ahead. I got some big people and they're scary and the cities are big and the walls are thick. And we can't, we can't do a thing with it. We can't, we can't take that place. Well, Caleb and Joshua, they have a little different report. Caleb said, Oh yeah. So let's, uh, let's take that up in verse 13, verse 30. But Caleb quieted the people before, oh, let's stand while we read God's word. Verse 30. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able. Let's say that together. We are well able to overcome it. 
Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out. Did you see bad report? That means other than God's view. Saying the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. I hope that baby goes to sleep. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry. And the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back. To Egypt, you can be seated. Let us go back. My wife was saying to me a couple of days ago, why would the Lord do this and why would the Lord do that? And we all asked those questions. Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? And I said, if, if we could figure God out, we wouldn't have much of a God. If I could figure out why he does what he does, when he does, uh, then I wouldn't have much of a God. I can't, so I do. Grasshopper. They saw themselves, that's an interesting phrase, they saw themselves as grasshoppers. And then they said, and so did they. Now, did they go interview those folks? Did they get their little pocket, or we used to call it the best pocket secretary, it's just a little recorder, and go interview the, the Nephilim and say, how, what do you, how do you see us? No, they assumed that the Nephilim saw them as grasshoppers because they saw themselves as grasshoppers. Don't answer this question, but how many of you, in the face of God's calling and task, how many of you see yourselves as grasshoppers? What is a grasshopper mentality? Well, there's probably more profundity available to us, but you're stuck with me. So I'll tell you that it's seeing yourself smaller than the task at hand and less capable then God has made you. Smaller, seeing yourself, smaller than the task before you, and I mean your task, not mine. Your task. Seeing yourself smaller and less capable than God has really made you. That's a grasshopper mentality. They saw this land, and they saw these giants. The ten spies immediately assumed that it's over. We can't. We can't uh, do anything with these folks. Two guys saw as God saw, Caleb and Joshua. And they said, oh, yeah, we can. We can do it. What was the difference? It's how they saw. It's what they saw. And so for us to be able to get past and lose this, this grasshopper mentality, we must first of all be able to see as God sees. We, may, we must be able to see as God sees, and that is the antidote for the grasshopper mentality. If I say GM somewhere along the way, you know what I mean. Grasshopper mentality. 
Proverbs 20 says, The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. I would submit to you that that goes beyond physical sight. That's true. It applies to physical sight. But I would submit to you that God has made us to have a hearing ear and seeing eyes so that we can hear what he's saying and see what he's doing, even if it's not in a physical nature. We're talking about revelation and enlightenment by the Spirit. We don't just follow principles. Principles are good. We don't just follow methods. Those are good. But all of that must come from revelation and enlightenment by the Spirit of God. God, despite what some try to say, God has not stopped speaking. He has not gone quiet. He's not developed laryngitis. I wish that name, that word didn't start with my name. <laughs> A few weeks ago in... Uh, Probably one of those teachings I referred to earlier uh, when we dealt with Revelation. I read you this statement from Jack Hayford, and I want to do it now because when we start talking about revelation and enlightenment and seeing, we, we, there's always this danger, and I'll let Jack, Pentecostal Jack, help us with this. I think I have a slide for that, William. Is that right? It is important to avoid confusion. In studying the Word of God. And to assure the avoidance of, of a destructive detour into humanistic ideas and hopeless error. The Holy Scriptures are called the revealed Word of God. The Bible declares that God's law and the prophets are the result of His revealing work. Essentially describing the whole of the Old Testament as revealed. In the New Testament, this word is used of writings as well. Writings that become part of the closed canon of the Holy Scriptures. Wisdom and understanding as well as sound, practical speech recommend that today's believer both know and clearly express what is meant when he or she speaks of revelations. Bob Mumford again said one time, he, he knew somebody saw Green angels on blue bicycles. Those are just revelations. The Holy Spirit does indeed give us revelation as this text teaches. But such prophetic insight into the word should never be considered as equal to the actual giving of the Holy Scriptures. As helpful as insight into God's word may be, the finality of the whole of the revelation of God's holy word is the only sure ground for building our lives. Excuse me. I read that because I do not want to, to denigrate or discount the value of revelation, but I want us to make sure that we receive biblical, godly revelation and that any revelation we might think we've received. <coughs> excuse me. I'm on the back end of this cold, by the way, so don't worry. Is any revelation must, everybody say must. Be rooted and grounded in the scriptures. And that's what Brother Hayford is telling us. I love Psalm 119. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Let me see what your scripture is teaching me. Let me see with my spiritual eyes 
what you're trying to show me from your word. But at the same time, knowing that God will speak to you. So you think God speaks? I said, yeah. I told my family and I in 1986 to move to Tennessee. I couldn't find that anywhere in the Bible. But I'm just as sure as I'm standing here today that that was a word from God. I've heard other words over the years from people that was not God. I love it when we talk about seeing into the spirit. Elisha and his servant, uh, the king of Syria, is having a problem because every time they go to try to attack someone, someone got there ahead of them and told them. And he said, wait a minute, do we have someone in our camp who's a, who's a fan of the king of Israel? And his servant said, no, nobody. But now Elisha, he knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're dreaming, which is, may or may not be true. And he said, go get that guy. Capture that guy and bring him back. And so he sends out this huge army to get Elisha. And they get to this place where Elisha and his servant are, and they're the only ones there. And they walk outside their, their pup tent, and they look up into the hill, and it's just surrounded by warriors and horses and chariots and soldiers and swords. And, and his servant walks out, and he says, oh, my goodness. What in the world are we going to do? And Elisha said, oh, it's okay. The ones who are with us are greater than the ones who are them. And I, you, if you're the servant, you have to be looking at Elisha and thinking, you've been out in the sun too much, dude. You need to get off that camel every now and then. And he says, no, they're there. Then he prays the prayer that you see on the screen. Then Elisha prayed and said, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I want to tell you they were there all along. They were already there. They didn't just show up. But Elisha saw them and now his servants saw them. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that it's possible that in your moment of need, when you think the world is about to collapse around you, do you think it's possible that there is a gathering of heavenly beings surrounding you that you can't see with the physical eye? You better believe it. Thank God for those times and those people that can see it. Thank God for this young man. Thank God for Elisha that they can see it. But if God did that, then he can do that and will do that now. And you can believe that whatever you're facing, whatever it is you're facing, you have the same thing. Pray that, pray that God would let you see it at the very least that you would sense the strength that is circling you. Joshua is in Jericho. It says he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. I believe that the man was not there, and then he was. You can say what you want if you want to be wrong. <laughs> I also believe this is an incar incar uh, pre-incarnate visit of Jesus Christ. What makes me think that is later on in the passage... This man tells Joshua, take off your shoes 
bow down, you're on holy ground. An angel would not do that. Joshua saw something that wasn't there, but was there. He goes on to say, who are you? Are you for us or against us? That would be my question. If I saw somebody like that standing there with a sword drawn, or you know, whose side are you on? I'd want to know. And he said, I'm the captain with the capital C of the Lord's host. And Joshua saw something. I found this story. Some of you might know, have heard this story. John Patton, he was a missionary in the New Hebrides Islands. One night, hostile natives surrounded the mission station, intent on burning out the Pattons and killing them. Patton, and I may be mispronouncing that, but if you're a relative of John Patton, let me know. Patton and his wife prayed during that terror-filled night that God would deliver them. When daylight came, they were amazed to see their attackers leave. A year later, the chief of the tribe was converted to Christ. Remembering what had happened, Patton asked the chief what had kept him from burning down the house and killing them. The chief replied in surprise, who were all those men with you? Who were all those men with you there? Patton knew no men were present. But the chief said he was afraid to attack because he had seen hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords circling the mission station. It's it's interesting that the pagan chief who later would become converted, but at that time a pagan chief saw, and yet the missionaries didn't. But it saved their lives. And then you got Gideon. Gideon is hiding. He's hiding in a wine press. And he's threshing out some wheat. And he's kind of hunched over, hoping no one sees him. Because he's afraid. He's afraid of the Midianites. And... The angel appears to him and says, Hail, you mighty man of valor. And, of course, Gideon looked around. Who's he talking to? Gideon didn't feel like he didn't see himself as a mighty man of valor. He saw himself as a scared little man hiding in a wine press, threshing a little wheat, hoping the Midianites didn't see him. But he's been visited by an angel, at the very least, an angel of God. In that moment, and he saw something. But the, what I wanted, why I brought that up, and why I mentioned Gideon, is I want you to understand that I understand that a lot of us live in that place. When God says to us, "Hey, you mighty man of valor," and we look around, you got to be talking to somebody else because that's not me. I want us to leave here today with something internal that will help us get past that. This grasshopper mentality the mentality will distract us. It'll cause us to look elsewhere. It'll draw our attention and focus, to focus on our surroundings and our human limitations. You say, well, God can't use me. I sinned last week. God can't use me. I've been struggling with this all of my life. God can't use me. And, and the fact is, when you see, you see yourself as a useless sinner, but the scripture says that you, say me, me. you have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus.
whether you like it or not. I hope you like it. Turn to First Samuel nine. I just want to. I'm, going, I'm not going to read a lot of verses, but I want you to see this if you can. First Samuel nine. We're going to look at Saul, who would become the king of Israel. Samuel chapter nine verses one and two. There was a man of Benjamin. Don't forget that Benjamin was the smallest tribe whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zerar, son of Becherith, son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, Benjaminite, and a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he, and from his shoulders upward he was taller than any of the people. Now flip over to chapter 10. Or scroll up to chapter 10, whichever be the case. Verse 20. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the, of the Matrites were taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, uh, he could not be found. Why could not he, he not be found? So they inquired again of the Lord, Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, <clears throat> He's hiding in the baggage. He's hiding himself among the baggage. They ran and they took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people. He was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And I can't help but see comedy here. Forgive me, Lord, if he didn't. Anyway, and Samuel said to all the people, do you see him who the Lord is chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, long live the king. Yeah, there's none like him hiding in the baggage. None like him. What? Head and shoulders. Even, even talks about being handsome. And Samuel, speaking to him, said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? What was his problem? He was taller than anybody. Now, you know, in a Jewish nation, that might not be very tall, but he was taller than anybody around. But he saw himself as smaller. He had a grasshopper mentality. It caused him problems. Remember in the parable of the talents, he gave three people talents. And gave one five, he made it ten. He gave one, each one increased except the third guy. He went and buried his, and he said, I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. <clears throat> now, in this case, talent is money. But I want to ask you, what, what has God given you that you've buried? What is it that God has put in your possession? I'm not just talking about money. Matter of fact, I'm mainly not talking about money. What is it that God has given you that you have buried and you, you've assumed a grasshopper mentality? Well, I want to say to you, <clears throat> just as the nation of Israel was destined to infiltrate the land of Canaan, that was their destiny, to infiltrate the land of Canaan, we, the church, extending the reign of Christ in the earth, 
we're called to infiltrate the society which God has placed us in. That's our role. And we've got to decide whether or not we believe the Lord desires his followers to infiltrate the community or to seek to escape. I pray that we're well beyond an escapist mentality. An escapist mentality simply says, Lord, I'm saved. Now come get me out of here. Too many, too many gospel songs. We're getting better. Too many gospel songs talk about, Lord, just get me out of this old nasty place, this old raggedy place. Get me out of here, Lord. Well, I mean, I don't mind going home. But I want to finish my mission before I do. We need to, if, seeing as God sees, arms us to infiltrate the society by evangelism. And seeing with spiritual eyes allows us to see the fact that we are called, each one of us are called to evangelism. Not everyone's an evangelist, but we are all called to sow seed. The grasshopper mentality makes the task before us seem insurmountable. We think, oh, we can't get all these people saved, all these lost people, these people I read about in the newspaper every day and I see on the news. We can't, I can't do it. That's just a mentality. The grasshopper mentality causes us to think that no one wants to hear what we've got to say. We approach evangelism like, well, I would share the gospel, but who wants to hear it? I would share the gospel. Nobody wants to hear that. Not today, not in this day and time. Nobody wants to hear what I got to say. The grasshopper mentality will cause us to take the safe path and do nothing, like the guy in the parable of the talents. Take the safe path. Oh, and then the, the, the grasshopper mentality will even cause us to believe that our message is not relevant to the current culture. How I many of you have heard? Oh, probably hadn't heard this, 2020. Oh, it's 2019. Things have changed. Oh, that doesn't apply anymore. You, oh, uh, you shouldn't live together before you're married. You shouldn't have sex before you're married. Boy, I know I just made a lot of people angry. Oh, yeah, but this is 2019. So that's changed? Oh, y'all got quiet. I'm not condemning anybody. I don't have anybody in my mind, but that's, that's just an example that came to my mind. I don't know why. But we take, we take the current culture and we cause it to be theologically sound and we alter what God said. We have a, we have a responsibility, a joy to infiltrate this community with the word of God and with evangelism and sowing the seed. We also should infiltrate in what I call marketplace and politics. Ooh, boy, now I'm going to lose a bunch of you. What we need is a Mr. Smith. Put that up there, William. Yeah. If you've never seen that movie, you should. Jimmy Stewart plays Mr. Smith, who goes to Washington. With He was naive enough to think he could go to Washington and do what you're supposed to do, represent your district and vote. And he got there and he found out it was a lot different. 
The trouble is most of those Mr. Smiths who go to Washington wind up becoming Washington. They don't remain Mr. Smith. And I don't care if they got a D or an R after their name. Every one of them. I, whatever. We got people who let the system change them instead of them changing the system. And if you've ever seen that movie, poor old Mr. Smith sweats a lot. We need people who are kingdom focused who will go into that arena. Thank God he didn't call me. Somebody said, won't you run for office? I said, well, I'll just go out in the yard and get a sharp stick and job myself in the eye and just get it over with. (laughs) I remember Kevin's here. I remember when Kevin told me he was going to run for mayor of Mount Juliet. I said, well, I'm glad it's you and not me. Kevin, I wish you were still mayor. The grasshopper mentality causes us to think that business and politics are not intended to come under God's domain. I've heard people say, let the devil have it. Let the devil have that. That, That's not God. That's not, that that has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Can I remind you what Psalm 24 says? It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything that it contains. Did you see the word everything? Is there anything in the earth that God doesn't own? Yeah, I'm not ranting. I'm trying to keep us away from this mentality that will hold us back. No, it's not let the devil have it. Never was his. I heard Ern Baxter say one time, that, you know, some people say, well, when Adam sinned, God gave the world to the devil. No, he didn't. That would have changed Psalm 24. So the Lord owns it. Brother Ern Baxter said he just took the, 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 uh, the uh, ownership of the earth and he put it in his pocket until one came along who was worthy to reassess it and regain it. And his name was Jesus Christ. The grasshopper mentality will cloud the fact that good kingdom people are more valuable to the business community. Good kingdom people who live by kingdom principles and go to work every day, and they go to work on time, they do what they're paid to do, they're diligent, they're faithful, they're enjoyable to be around, and they produce for their employers. That's kingdom people. If you're showing up late for work every day and you're complaining when you get there, that's not kingdom But we, the, the grasshopper mentality makes us think, well, that's just secular. Don't get me started on that. That's just secular. Well, we, we got secular and we got religious. Well, and both of those are the devil. What we have is the earth that belongs to God. Who's, who came in the form of Jesus Christ, our, our Savior, and the Son of God, and who prayed, your kingdom come on earth like it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. That's what we have. And it covers all of it. You don't, you can't take the business part out and say, well, that's just secular. That's just, that's just the devil. You know, it doesn't matter how that operates. 
I, I, I used to work for a guy when I was a teenager. We'd go to church on Sunday morning, and he'd get up and put his hand on his hip, and he'd testify like crazy. Monday morning, he had the mouth of a sailor. Matter of fact, some sailors would have been embarrassed by what some of the stuff he said. And, and my phone thinks I'm done, but it is wrong. <laughs> Who is that guy? And which guy is it that I, I mean, which is it the guy on Sunday or is it the guy on Monday? And some of the things he would say, and th- I'm going, I don't get it because he differentiated between Sunday morning and Monday morning. Let me tell you something. God is in Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and so forth. Hopefully for you, we need kingdom people in places of influence in business and politics. We need it. And we need, a, we need to see past this grasshopper mentality that tells us that's something else. That's the devil. That's the world. That's secular. And we need to engage where God calls. I'm not telling all of you to run out and run for office. I don't dislike you that much. <laughs> I'm saying some people are. And some people are called to be in business. Some people are called to own businesses. Do it. You know, I used to run across people, well, I'm just doing this until I can really serve God in, you know, in ministry. So you're not serving God now. You're not serving God now by providing. I mean, whatever it is that God has called you to do, do it. And do it for the kingdom. When you walk into that place of employment where you go, you, you bring the kingdom with you. And if you don't, then repent. So I'll finish up by giving us this, seeing past this mentality. First of all, we must believe what God says about us rather than what others or we ourselves might say about us. Don't own what people say about you. The Lord's wrestling with Jacob. He said, what is your name? My name is the deceiver. I'm the deceiver. Well, I'm sure that was a lot of fun having to say that. And he said, well, not anymore. Now you're going to be called a prince. I'm going to rename you. Your name is Israel, which means prince. And not long ago, I don't know how long ago, we did a sermon here one Sunday morning or a message where I asked you to write down the name that you've been wearing around your neck that someone put on you, like your father or your uncle or your whoever, and you've been wearing that name your whole life to put that on a piece of paper, and we're going to burn that thing, and you're not going to be called that anymore. It's not what other people say about you. It's what God says about you. It's, well, I don't know what God says about me. Well, let's start in the Scriptures and find out. We must elevate God's word over opinions, both ours and other people's. Opinions are nice, but God's word is better. We need to avoid longing for the yesterdays that now seem so much greener. It's easy to, it's easy to become nostalgic, especially, you know, and some of us have walked this walk a long time. And we can look back and and it's easy to forget some of the bad stuff from the yesterdays. We remember the nostalgia from the yesterdays. We need to lose the arrogance that causes us to think we can accomplish the task in our own strength. 
We think, I got this. Let me, let me give you something. Don't rely on your gift. What? No, you should exercise your gift. You should exercise the gift that God has put in you. But if you really have a gift, and all of us do of some kind, it's easy to rely on that gift and not rely on God. Can I tell you your gift works all the time? Because it's a gift. And it's easy for you and me to get into a place where we rely on the gift. And if we rely, you say, well, God gave me the gift. Yeah, he gave you the gift. But he didn't give you the gift to separate you from him. Exercise your gift, but don't let it be your, don't let it be the thing you put your trust in. Don't put your trust in the gift, but you put your trust in the one who gave it to you. It's always the Lord who goes before us, and it's always the Lord who gives us the victory. Always. And then the last thing is that we would put our hands to our assigned plow and go sow some seed. You say, well, I don't have a plow. Yeah, you do. I can tell you how I know that God has given you a plow with handles. And that is that unless some of you are fooling me, you're all breathing. You're all breathing. If you're breathing, God has, has somewhere for you to put your hands and go plow the field and sow some seed. What would keep me from doing that? Thinking I can't do it. Thinking that I'm, I'm not capable. I'm too small. I'm too dumb. I'm too uneducated. I'm too, just fill in the blank. Fill in your own blank. And the grasshopper mentality says, in the face of all of that, I can't do it. Because it's bigger than me. Yeah, you're right. It is absolutely bigger than you. But it's not bigger than you and the one with whom you are yoked in the effort. It's not bigger than God and you together. It's not bigger than the capability that God has put in you. You, as the Cajun said, you can do it. For those of you, uh, uh, anyway, that's the water boy. The real spiritual movie. You can do it. Why can you do it? Because God says you can do it. Why can you do it? Because it's with God's enablement. It's with God's power. We have got to understand that the mission is accomplished by people who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. And if you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it, you can do it. Are you okay with that? Well, then stand with me. Lord Jesus, we commit ourselves today to walk out of these doors, walk out of this building, whenever that may be. For some, it'll be an hour from now. Without a grasshopper mentality. We, we commit ourselves that we'll walk out of here today, leaving behind that thought in our head that says, oh, you're too small, you're too insignificant, you're too fill-in-the-blank to do what God called you and gifted you to do. 
We will no longer allow that thought process to keep us from doing what you want us to do, from finding those plow handles and plowing that field and sowing that seed. Lord, we understand you're not expecting any of us to be the next Billy Graham or Corey Ten Boom or any of those folks. But you are expecting us to become the next us. The next us that you have called and empowered and gifted. And you've called us to see beyond what the world says about us. To see beyond even what we say about ourselves. And to engage. So I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice that you would, uh, that you would afresh baptize each one of us in your Holy Spirit. You would fill us up to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. And that way you empower us. You give us the, the Holy Spirit ability to be your witnesses into all the earth. Do your work, Lord God. Don't stop your work now. Continue your work even after we leave here in our hearts and in our minds. And in so doing, may your kingdom come and may your will be done in the earth just like it's being done in heaven. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.